welcome to the 56th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Entner. How you doing, Roger? I'm good. How are you? Good. So this week, we've invited John Pelson to the podcast. John is the author of Wireless Wars, China's Dangerous Domination of 5G and How We're Fighting Back. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be here, Don. Good to be here, Roger. So, John, set the stage for us. Here we are a few years into the 5G era. Chinese companies like ZTE and Huawei have been part of the telecom network ecosystem for quite a while, certainly predating 5G. What is it about this particular moment in time that makes Chinese, China's participation in the telecom ecosystem particularly troubling? Well, the most important thing, I think, is that with 5G, it's not just the latest round of technology improvements in telecom. Every previous generation of wireless was really just an improvement on the existing platform. So 2G, you had digital and you could have text messaging. 3G, you could get on the internet. 4G was true video and and two-way high-speed connections. 5G is not just faster downloads. 5G really is going to be a different way of doing business, not just a different way of communicating. So you talk about the Internet of Things. Factories are going to be connected to each other through 5G. Machines in the factories. Ports are going to be operated through 5G networks. Farms, municipal systems, even warfighters in the field are going to be using 5G to carry out their actions. So 5G is not just about mobile communications. It really is going to affect every aspect of life, whether it's industrial or or personal. That really is a a critical distinction because what that also means is that whoever controls the infrastructure to deliver 5G, whoever is really uh, running the, the equipment that the service providers rely on is going to have the opportunity, not just people talk about can China spy through their networks. Of course, everyone tries to do that too. That's not the only problem though, even though there's good evidence that that's happened already in the past. The other problems are, they'll involve supply chain reliability and even network throttling or network service quality. If another country can throttle your own ability to communicate. If it can cut off communications between commercial or even military locations, you don't need to be spying to have a significant impact on national security or on on, uh, the health and and success of an industrial sector. But at the same time, Huawei says, like, we're just like every other company. You know, we, we, we don't do these things. We sign pledges that we will never do that. You know, how much credence do we put into that? There's a long list of situations where Huawei has been found. Certainly court cases or accusations that are well documented where Huawei has uh, been accused of doing things like this. Uh, you look at the African Union Center where although the African Union officially will not acknowledge what happened, China built this $200 million center for political, military, and commercial activities. And after a few years, Financial Times and Le Monde reported that senior officials in the African Union technology group found that the servers were turning on late at night and communicating back to China. They didn't admit that this was happening, but they ripped out all the Huawei servers in there and they replaced them. That's not something you do 
without a good reason. And uh, interestingly, while we didn't point the finger at someone else as being behind it, they just really won't comment. They say they didn't do anything wrong. But you see examples like that. You see examples all over the world where there have been breaches typically settled privately and quietly without Huawei acknowledging anything. And I think the fact that they're under the control of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, kind of ends that whole question because if the party tells you you have to do something, you have to do it. It's not just the intelligence law that was passed in 2017 that requires companies to cooperate in intelligence matters, even if they didn't have that law. The, the Communist Party is above the law. They can dictate and tell the companies what they need them to do, and they really have no recourse. They have to do it anyway. Yeah, and the, the Communist Party and Chairman Xi is very proud that there are no checks and balances, that it's a command-style you know, society, and what the Communist Party says will happen. But doesn't that mean that our fascination with with Huawei is a little bit uh, overly focused because this applies to every Chinese company then. Well, it, it does. But as with a lot of things involving China, the key issue here is one of scale. Huawei is just one Chinese technology company. Why should we worry any more about them? Well, Huawei is bigger than all of their biggest telecom equipment suppliers combined. It's bigger than Nokia and Ericsson and, and most of the other players at the top tier. They spend more on R&D at Huawei than some of the bigger players have in revenues. And so they have to be looked at much more seriously. Here's a company that is so dominant in the 5G sector and in the telecom equipment sector in general that they have to be taken very seriously. ZTE is just not as good at what they do as Huawei, or I suppose we'd have to worry about them just as much. Yeah, because like when we go look at handsets, handsets are like this, you know, the, the, the tip of the iceberg. Lithuania, you know, basically just gave out an advisory to, to every Lithuanian citizen to dump their Chinese phone because they say all of them are susceptible to to interference and reporting back to to China and susceptible to to censorship. Lithuania is a great example of the struggle between I don't want to say the West and China because countries like Korea and Japan are and, and Taiwan are just as caught up, but I'd say free nations and China. Lithuania is a terrific example because China has won and Huawei has won by playing to their strengths, which are unified central command and control, complete cooperation. And they've played to our weaknesses. So for free markets, that means self-interest, or as they would see it, every man for himself, uncoordinated, unmanaged activity on, on our side. Lithuania was getting fed up with China, and they uh, decided to take a tougher line at the, at the federal level. And what they learned was that China was already going around the federal government there and working with cities working with companies, working with regions directly and setting up their own deals and relationships. I think that may have been one of the triggers that, that pushed Lithuania fi finally over the edge in its dealings with China. And for, for our listeners who don't know, Lithuania is a NATO partner, right? Who has like full 
or, or pretty widespread access to what every other NATO partner you, knows about this. It's just that they're a little bit braver, right? That's right. And, and, and this is where you see the danger. If you allow untrusted equipment into a network, and that network becomes part of, say, in the case of NATO, a critical defense alliance, then you may have compromised the entire network now. That's why I think uh, both under Trump and now under Biden, there's been a, a very tough line about holding, keeping Huawei equipment out of not just the, the Five Eyes countries, but uh, the, the rest of Europe and other free countries in the world. So what can we actually do? What can the West actually do? And how, how can we play to our strengths rather than to the strengths of, of China? Well, Roger, that's exactly it. We're not going to win by trying to out-China China. China. Uh, you know, there was some talk in the U.S. government, let's put $10 billion into Nokia or Ericsson. I think that's, you know, when, when David beat Goliath, he didn't do it by having a big dinner and doing lots of push-ups the night before and then going out with his own sword and shield. That would have been a losing proposition. You can't meet them on their terms or you're going to lose. What we have to do is play to our strengths and play against their weaknesses. And I think one of their biggest weaknesses is that China has made it clear they will crush companies and people who challenge state supremacy. And I talked about this in Wireless Wars when it was just getting started, where Jack Ma, the richest, most beloved entrepreneur in the country, spoke out against excessive regulation. And that was all it took. He disappeared. They canceled his company's next IPO, which would have been a terrific thing for China, very prestigious and lucrative. They showed they're willing to lose tens or even hundreds of billions of dollars to show who's really boss in that country. Jack Ma's lucky. You have other leaders in the country, business leaders of major companies, Lai Shomin is one, who was accused of illegal fundraising, CEO of a major financial services company. January 6th, I think it was, he was tried and convicted. And January 20th, he was executed. This is a big weakness on the part of China because entrepreneurs and innovators in that country have been put on notice. Don't stick your head up. Don't get too good. Don't get too powerful. And don't waver from the five-year plans and the 10-year plans that China sets. That is a weakness because that starts to restrict their innovation and also restrict their flexibility. So we then have to play that what I think are our strengths. Our biggest strength, which was also the root of our weaknesses in dealing with China, but our strength is that people can be disruptive. People can challenge social norms. They can even go against laws with corporate innovations. You take companies like Airbnb and Uber, who were breaking regulations and laws about licensed taxi drivers or uh, hotel zoning. And they knew that they could face the government in court and they might win and they might lose, but no one was going to be executed. <laughs> That'll put a damper on any, uh, any really bright, innovative ideas. But in the US and in really in the free world, you can do this, even if it's disruptive to a successful, large industry. The hotel industry did not want Airbnb doing what it did. And they're powerful, but they can't shut them down and stop them in a free society. They can make it tough, 
but they can't stop them. So we have to play to this. The term that I've seen used is permissionless innovation, which creates trillions of dollars in value and puts us on a much more agile, flexible standing than China. But shouldn't we also play to the strength that comes with inventions, with original thought? China has been a, a really key part of, of human civilization for thousands of years. It's not like the China that, that is at, at the forefront of our thought of like, you know, between 18, say 1800 and the 1980s has been an from a global perspective and from a from a historic perspective an, an an apparition and they have been really really good in innovation meaning taking somebody else's idea and making it better right and there, there are many examples if I, my, my favorite example is always like wechat in china it's phenomenal it's like Facebook, Google, PayPal, Airbnb, Amazon, everything in one app. And it has 100% market share, right? So shouldn't we focus not only on innovation, but also on invention? Uh, absolutely. And in fact, you have to respect China. This is a country that for not just centuries, but for thousands of years has been one of the world's great innovative cultures. So culturally, that's a, a part of who they are. And uh, the industriousness of the current population, you see, is, is unmatched. And yet the government style, the totalitarian, authoritarian style of the government has shown that they're able to squash that and put a damper, put a lid on it on their own end. So as capable as China would be, of really cracking things open with breakthrough invention, as you are describing it, right now they're in a place where they won't. And the US has to turn to that. You're right. We've created these breakthrough ideas. We invented cellular in the United States. We invented fiber optics. You know, China has become great at improving them, doing great innovation to make things better. And I don't want, don't want to dismiss their ability to truly do breakthrough invention, but under this government, I think people are going to have their heads down and say, don't do anything that's disruptive. You could be killed for that. Certainly, you could have your, your business ruined. So we've got to focus on really doing transformational innovations. In, in 5G, that may be something around what Open RAN could create. And I don't know if that's the only solution because there's certainly questions still there. But it's certainly directionally correct saying that if you can crack open the locked interfaces you allow all kinds of invention and innovation into the market, not just the best work that smart people at Nokia and Ericsson are doing, but things that people that were not even in the industry can start doing. And that could really be the key to surging ahead and regaining the leadership from China. Yeah, it, it, it just depends where, because when we look at Open Run, as you correctly pointed out, and it's just the interfaces between the components that become standardized and open. The, the individual components are still proprietary and, and everybody keeps their trade secrets, but you can switch out things a lot faster. Huawei, I think, and others have, have done a lot of development about work around it. They just haven't ruled it out because they're now the incumbents. They're the de facto incumbents in Africa, Southeast Asia, and in, in large parts of Europe. And 
one of the trade crafts of Huawei is they customize the network so much that it works exactly how how these engine how the the, the carrier CTOs want it. But at the same time, it means you can't put anybody else's equipment in. And so I think we will be stuck with, with Huawei gear for quite a while because especially in in poorer parts, you know, the price advantage of Huawei due to government help is is dramatic. Yeah, I, I think parts of the world are gonna be going all in with Huawei for some time for reasons you state. You know, you can go to Ethiotel. Ethiopia's telecom company can't put a thousand network architects onto knitting together an open RAN solution. And they can't just show up today at any vendor and say, just give us a turnkey system because it's not it's not there and it won't be for years, I think. And so when you have a cheap end-to-end solution from Huawei, and the only price you pay is you may have compromised your sovereignty, well, you know, politicians tend to look short term. In fact, I saw that statement in a, in a trade publication in, in Africa that said uh, Ethiopia's actual very sovereignty may be at stake with their reliance now on Chinese network equipment for all their internal country communications. When they pulled out all the Huawei gear, someone asked, why aren't you angrier at China for what they've done? And the answer was, well, at least they didn't colonize us. I look at what Huawei is doing to the developing world as kind of a neo-colonialism. They're using technology and they're doing it without firing a shot. Yeah. This is the way you want to do it. And Felden Road also creates quite the, the, the dependencies because China is, is investing more into Africa than anybody else. And at the same time, we in the West, and especially in the US, have pulled back and, and foreign aid has become a dirty word. And then we're surprised that China wins all the votes and elections at international bodies. Well, yeah, of course they win at these international bodies when when China funds them left and right, and we decided, no, we don't do this anymore, right? It's not a popularity contest. It's not a beauty contest. It's about who spends money and attention. You know, there's something funny I learned talking to uh, State Department officials and intelligence officials about how the national aid is working in developing countries. Uh, You would think that U.S. or European or Korean companies could sell equipment into Africa and have UN or American aid, those are the two biggest aid bodies really, uh, they could say, look, we're gonna put in this clean water facility for you also. And yet what happens is Huawei says, we'll put in the telecom network and the Chinese government says, we'll work on the clean water facility for you And the difference is China says, we're not going to impose child labor rules on how it gets built. We're not going to put strict rules on how clean the water has to be when it's done. So some people in the village may still get sick, but you're going to have water this year, not in three years like you would through the United States, USAID or the UN. And we don't care too much about corruption rules. We don't have the corruption requirements. And uh, that is rampant. One person confided to me that uh, in a lot of the developing countries, it's on trips to China where arrangements are made to the decision makers because 
they're in China where it's not illegal and they're outside of their own country where it might be illegal, even if it's not policed. And that this is also running rampant. Counterintel officers said this is where the bribes are being paid in some of these countries that are signing up with Huawei when they know they don't have the money to pay back the debt financing on the network gear or whatever the other projects are. So is the answer decoupling or, you know, what is the answer? The best answer is what everyone was hoping for 20 years ago, which is a rising China, a new wealthy consumer and producer of, of products and a free society, because once you've turned them loose to enjoy freedom in, in business, it's kind of hard to, to hold them down politically. We're learning that that's not true, right? In the West, we're increasingly living in, in Aldous Huxley's brave new world where there are so many voices out there, we can't tell what's the truth and what's a lie anymore. And China is turning more and more into 1984, where everything is supervised and, and surveilled. That is the reality that we've seen. The idea that we would have this new trading partner, even a trading uh, competitor, has not panned out. I think to everyone's surprise, there may have been a few uh, naysayers, but but they were over overshadowed by everyone else who had this hope that China would would liberalize. So when you say is decoupling the answer, decoupling would be terrible for the free world and it would be catastrophic for China. Basically, you would build, you know, not to make the pun about it, but you would put a wall around China. They could make and sell to their own billion and a half people, which is a great market, but they would be left behind if you have the rest of the world all trading and thriving in a dynamic environment. But isn't that the idea behind China 2025? I think the real idea behind that is that China wants to be the hegemon in the world and say, the way the US has been for most of the 20th century, if you want your technology, you have to get it from us. If you want to build your dams or your bridges, it's coming from us. We are the world's technology and economic power, and you're going to be doing it our way going forward. But at the same time with China 2025, they want to be technology IP independent from the West so that, you know, under the Trump administration, there was a lot of saber rattling. If you don't do this, we'll cut you off, right? And with Huawei, they did it and it hurt them. And I think China got the lesson. But it's like, you know, in, in medieval times, you said, like, if you strike at the king, make sure you kill him. Because nothing is worse than an, and more enraged than a, than a wounded king. And isn't it that the the sanctions that we imposed on on Huawei was wounding the king, right? Not not killing the king. I think if if you can go from that very apt Machiavellian reference and and look at what Sun Tzu had to say on it, and one of the important rules was that you should always leave your enemy an escape route, lest you find yourself confronting someone who's nothing left to lose, who's been so severely cut off. Now, I'm, I was surprised at just how effective the actions against Huawei were, and so effective that it raised that concern. Have we, have we made them desperate now? Like you're saying, you, you can't kill off a $120 billion company that has that big a role in its own home country. But if you've damaged them that badly, then in a way, they have nothing to lose in how they go about their, their dealings with the rest of the world. I am concerned that that may have happened. 
And uh, decoupling may be the least of our concerns, but I think the, the biggest reasons why, if you, first, if you look, Huawei and China have always wanted foreign technologies in their networks and in their country. I think one of the reasons, and I've been told this, is it keeps them honest, it keeps them on their toes because they see what else is happening out there. And even a, a carrier, China Mobile, will say to Huawei or ZTE, that's good, but look what we got out of Ericsson. Why can't you do that? If you put that wall up and you really isolate China, they may technologically be able to survive, but without being part of the world market and ecosystem, they're going to fall behind. Fascinating. It's a really, really fascinating topic. Thank you, John, from from coming on the podcast. Please remind us again about your book and where to get it. You know, it, it's it's a great book. Sure. So Wireless Wars is was released last week. It's available through Amazon and uh, all the major booksellers. Uh, Barnes and Noble has it on the shelves now and Books a Million. It uh, looks at how we got into this mess and proposes a path forward on how free countries of the world can get out of it. Excellent. Thank you, John. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for being on the show. 